All right, so I just a little fib. I thought we had that ready, but we don't. But we do have Miguel, uh, and we have sixty seconds. Miguel, how was uh, your day today? Did you do a little walking? Uh, absolutely, Dennis. We walked seventeen miles, and uh, it was about one hundred and six degrees. Uh, but the reception in uh, in uh, Manteca was unbelievable. I mean, the community is probably, you know, close to a 1,000 people. The reception, the food, and uh, all along the route, we were escorted by uh, the Lowrider Car Club Association of the Valley. You know, rather than having the police escort and so forth, they escorted us. It was incredible. And, and uh, you know, just all day long, Dennis, cars, trucks, everyone. It was like a chorus of constant honking, honking in support of farm workers and like i said at the end it was just an unbelievable reception you know it's this is causing the resurrection of la causa something that cesar chavez and dolores huerta devoted their lives to so we will continue this we've walked about 250 miles and we will continue and uh, we'll be back reporting live come uh monday all right, we're out of time. I'm Dennis Bernstein. That's Miguel Gabriel Molina. He's on this 330-mile trek for worker rights for the United Farm Workers. We'll see you next week. Slavic Community Hour is looking for new collective members. The Slavic Community Hour is an interactive news, talk, and music program focused on Portland's Ukrainian and Russian community. No experience is required, just an enthusiasm for Slavic culture and a desire to learn. If you speak Ukrainian or Russian and have an interest in community radio, please reach out to program at kboo.org to learn more. That's program at kboo.org. Welcome to Sprouts, radio from the grassroots, a weekly program that showcases radio production by independent community media. We bring local stories to a national audience, produced at a different location every week. The market for products featuring native art has been dominated by non-native companies, almost exclusively using fake native art for hundreds of years. I'm Trevor Collins of Times Like Now, based in Bellingham, Washington. Today on Sprouts, we hear the story of 8th Generation, a native-owned and operated business based in Seattle, Washington. I talk with Louis Gong, CEO and founder, who has merged his art and activism into the most successful Native American-owned business in the United States. His Inspired Natives project helps artists to break away from the gallery model of selling to an entrepreneur model. Hello, Louis Gong. Thank you so much for joining me today. How are you? I'm doing great, Trevor. Thanks for having me. So I first was introduced to your work when you were having children, having kids in school, painting on their shoes. Mm -hmm. Now you're doing traditional 
uh, Salish and traditional native uh, designs upon shoes. Tell me a little bit about your history and how Eighth Generation became your thing. Absolutely. My name is Louie. I'm Nooksack tribal member, and I was raised in my community by my grandma and grandpa. And um, I never thought of myself as being an artist. You know, a lot of schools where I grew up were focused on sports. And so I think a lot of the interest and aptitude that I had in the arts uh, went overlooked when I was a young person. And it wasn't until I was in my 30s working in higher education at Muckleshoot Tribal College in Auburn that I started exploring art. And it was when the Muckleshoot Tribe was hosting the intertribal canoe journey that many people probably have seen on the news or, or maybe been out to one of the very huge cultural events that are associated with the canoe journey. They were making drums for giveaway items at the canoe journey at the tribal college and I participated in that process and just like all the the, the elders and language students that were making the drums, I started with a hide, composed a drum, set it to dry and then painted it for the first couple times. But when people saw I had an aptitude for painting, they said, hey, Louie, why don't we just make the drums and you paint them? And so over the course of about three or four months, I painted about 30 drums. And it was that experience with uh, the Muckleshoot tribe when I was in my early 30s that really awakened this love of Coast Salish art or culture. And that's the art of the region uh, that we live in. Coast Salish, it's an anthropological term, but it's really useful, and it describes the, you know, basically a language and culture group that extends from southern British Columbia on the west side of the mountains all the way down to about Portland area. And it's different from northwest coast, which is where totem poles are from. It's a really important distinction. At any rate, uh, once this love of Coast Salish art was awakened, I'd be like driving home in my commute from Auburn to Seattle every day, and I could see Coast Salish design elements in everything, like in the backs of cars. And, you know, I'd I'd be sitting in traffic and look at someone's face in the car next to me and see Coast Salish design elements composing their face. You know, it was really clear how our ancestors saw the world when developing this um, art style. At any rate, another thing that I was interested in and had always been drawn to was custom shoes. I'd always looked at shoes that people had drawn on as being cool and also really accessible, you know. You didn't have to have art training to try this out. And so very early on, I drew on a pair of shoes. And this is related to my mixed heritage and also my work around multiracial identity. It's a whole other track of my career. Um, But for many years, I uh, did a lot of work trying to raise awareness of the experiences of people of mixed heritage and I was raised by my grandpa who's Chinese, my grandma who's native, uh, my mom is white. And so I had a really dynamic experience around identity and spent a lot of my adult years in nonprofit leadership trying to um, you know, uh, validate the experiences of other people who are also of mixed heritage. So uh, when I started doing art, um, although I was loving Coast Salish art, I always had this interest in using Coast Salish art to express an honest version of my identity and not try to replicate what I thought an anthropologist might stamp as Coast Salish approved or what more traditionalists might think is uh, authentic. I wanted to do something that was truly a representation of myself. So I went to the store and um, 
was looking at shoes and I found a nice blank pair of Vans one day, which was my favorite shoe at the time. And I brought those home and I grabbed a Sharpie and I tried to draw on them in a way that reflected my identity in an honest way. And what came out was this really contemporary Coast Salish art on Vans. I was very, very proud of them, even though that first pair was not very good. But when I wore them to the tribal college where I was working at the time, everybody was like, man, where'd you get those? Those are sick. And how can I get a pair? And that was the beginning of eighth generation. So originally I made eighth generation as a, or I created eighth generation as a way to sell the shoes I was decorating with cultural art while still working in higher ed administration at Muckleshoot Tribal College. So what does eighth generation represent and what does it mean, the, the phrase, the term to you? Eighth generation is a name that I chose very purposefully. It has tons of meaning for me. Eight, when you say it in Cantonese, sounds just like the word for prosperity. So eight is a very lucky number to have in your business name. And so I incorporated eight as a way to pay homage to uh, my grandpa and my, my Chinese heritage. And eighth generation is a play on this intertribal value of seven generations. Um, in rudimentary terms, it is basically a decision-making framework that says you should uh, consider the consequences of your decisions seven generations into the future. So by calling the business eighth generation, in my mind, I'm paying respect to the previous seven generations and sort of recognizing that I'm standing on their shoulders. So... Eighth Generation uh, now based or has a store, I should say, in Seattle, down at Pike's Place. When did that open? Uh, our store at Pike Place Market, which is a it's a beautiful little boutique shop um, in the area they call the Atrium, um, that was opened in 2016. That was one year after we did what is probably the most groundbreaking thing that Eighth Generation has ever done which is launch wool blankets. So we became the first native-owned company to offer wool blankets in 2015. The store at Pike Place Market followed in 2016. Between the time where I started drawing on shoes and you know established the entity eighth generation and the store opening, there was tons of work that happened. Um, it's kind of a blur for me, and I sort of describe that uh, time as like a montage in the movies where the music you know, starts to uh, pick up and you see the main characters sort of working together. So uh, I I have no business training. Um, I didn't have any people in my family who had business experience. I'd never thought of even entering into business. But for me, when I started selling my shoes, I recognized that all the pathways in front of me that are traditionally available to native artists were laden with middlemen. So there wasn't one direction that I could go that I didn't have to go through a gallery or a company or um, an organization. And essentially in going through them, what I mean is you ask, have to ask for permission or validation that what you're doing is okay. And I decided early on that I didn't wanna participate in that kind of system. You know, if I have skills and resources and my work's in demand, I didn't want to use it to strengthen a system that has never been designed to support people who grew up like me. In fact, the system, in my mind, is a very powerful tool 
for reinforcing existing power structures, um, a lot of them race-based. So for example, indigenous art is super popular. Native people make art, non-native people own galleries. And there's an exchange of uh, privilege that happens where if you have the knowledge, if you have access to capital, the knowledge about how to communicate with people who have the socioeconomic means to uh, buy art from a gallery, you can exchange that for 50, 60% of the value of an art that an artist created. I didn't want to support that system. I felt like I could look back on 100 years of the gallery system in the Pacific Northwest and recognize that it has only worked for two or three people. So what I decided to do was focus on products. Um, and I started off with the investment, the first investment that I made in myself after saving up money from doing the workshops, which were around exploring identity through shoe customization, um, was a laser. And I think my first laser was about $14,000, and it was all the money I had at the time. But as soon as I had that laser, I started to put the ideas that I had together around art and product development really creatively because people with my sort of uh, cultural background and worldview really hadn't had access to the to production a whole lot um, in the past. And so what I created really looked new to people. And so I, I started having success right away. Once I started having that success, I started helping other artists do the same thing. Um, a lot of people said, why are you helping other people? You're just getting started. <laughs> and uh, But it has always been like the education piece and the service piece have always been really enticing to me. Anyway, that help of other artists became the foundation of 8th Generation um, and ultimately led to the Inspired Natives Project. Um, so 8th Generation is now one of the fastest growing native-owned businesses in the United States or Canada. We have a store at Pike Place Market. We're the first native-owned company to ever offer wool blankets. And our business exists at the intersection of art, service, uh, education, um, and modern business practices. You're listening to Sprouts Radio from the Grassroots, a weekly program bringing you local radio productions of national interest. I'm Trevor Collins of Times Like Now in Bellingham, Washington. Today, I'm speaking with Louis Gong, an eighth generation from Seattle, Washington. Your Inspired Natives project, the, the tagline or the quote that we have here is that, that you had created, support inspired natives, not native inspired. That's a very powerful, powerful statement and says a lot in just a few words because, as we know, there is a lot of imported or knockoff uh, native work. Mm -hmm. Tell me more about about that. Where did that come from? Yeah, so the market for products featuring native art has been dominated by non-native companies almost exclusively using fake native art for hundreds of years. And when I tried to bring my art to market, I realized that you know if I ever wanted to explore wholesale, there's no room for me because the shelves the shelves at stores who want to sell products with native art on them are already full with really established companies who are making product with fake art. So for example, um, I had a workshop collaboration with the uh, Smithsonian in Washington, D.C., the National Museum of the American Indian. And uh, when I called their gift shop coordinator to see if they'd be interested in carrying eighth generation blankets, he said, we already have native <clears throat> blankets. And of course, 
he was talking about Pendleton blankets, and there was never any exploration of the sort of origin of the art on the blanket or the value of supporting a native-owned company versus a non-native-owned company. And so through my journey, uh, I've not only had to sort of carve a new pathway for uh, a native artist uh, to make a living from art, but I've also had to take on education of uh, people who control opportunities associated with native uh, art on products. Um, one of the ways that I have done that is um, establishing the tagline, Inspired Natives, Not Native Inspired. It's uh, catchy and informative, and it's been a really powerful tool in educating consumers about um, the importance of supporting native artists and, and native-owned businesses and taking one, you know, maybe three extra seconds to ask who is the artist? Because <laughs> if the artist is not on the label, if it's not included on the website description, then it's fake native art. And most consumers want something that's authentic and they want their money to be, they want their money uh, to support things that are aligned with their values, not to undermine them. So by taking, a, if they hear that tagline a few times, next time they're in front of that product or reading a description on the website, uh, they're gonna take that extra three seconds to see if they can find the artist name. Now you mentioned to me earlier that you actually have some cease and desists and having some real issues with some of those uh, plastic soulless corporations that are, uh, as you described. Tell me more about that, what's going on there? Well, Inspired Natives, not Native Inspired, is related, uh, to understand the value of that term, you also have to understand the American Indian Arts and Crafts Act. And to make a long and complicated story very quick, it's a truth in advertising law that says that you can't call something native if it's not. And so large corporations like Pendleton and many others, they use the term Native American inspired or native inspired, if you can imagine I'm making uh, air quotes, as a tool to skirt the American Indian Arts and Crafts Act. So their goal is to evoke this idea of native stories, native authenticity, native culture, without actually violating the law. And so when we say inspired natives, not native inspired, we're directly uh, sending a dig to the companies who use that term to describe their fake native products. The history of that term extends way back to 2013 when um, I was lucky enough to get an audience with the Assistant Secretary for the Department of the Interior at the time and the Chair of the American Indian Arts and Crafts uh, Board to try and update the American Indian Arts and Crafts Act to address the way people are finding art now. You know, when the act was established, or I guess when it was reinvigorated the last time was in the early 90s. And at that time, people were not buying products online. So if you said native inspired, um, uh, it didn't have nearly as much consequence as it does today when if you put that on your product on a website or use that tag or use it in your metadata, there's not that much difference between that and actually saying it's a native X, Y, or Z. So the spirit of the American Arts and Crafts Act is to make sure that... Um, Native voices don't get drowned out. And we wanted them to make sure in 2013, Native voices didn't get drowned out. 
in doing that, we I'm making sorry I'm going on a a tangent here, but in um, making that effort, we realized that we were not going to get help uh, from the people who um, could help us by reinvigorating the American Arts and Crafts Act. And it was a couple days later that I woke up in the middle of the night and the tagline popped into my head. And I realized the tagline could be a way for us to take this matter into our own hands and ruin the term uh, Native Inspired. And so that's what we've tried to do. Now, you know, another 10 years after, you know, countless 12-hour days, working seven days a week, and taking on emotional labor, emotional labor, like the emotional labor associated with the process I just described. I mean, I don't know how to talk to the assistant secretary for the Department of the Interior, but, you know, I just, I, I tried hard, you know, and, I, and I've always done a good job of consulting my most uh, loyal mentors, uh, Google and YouTube, and have educated myself along the way. Anyway, all that work has led to eighth generation rapidly taking market share from larger companies who have dominated this market for a long time. And because of that, we've gotten on their um, radar. They realized that they need to do something now. And most of these companies, rather than changing their business model to work in a way that represents fair trade with native artists, are co-opting our talking points and even the tagline from eighth generation. And you can imagine how it feels for me to, you know, develop a business model that's not just, it's not just modern business practices and marketing, you know, it's based upon the traditional values and the cultural expectations in native communities. So when a larger company, I'm talking about $25 million companies, $50 million companies, when they decide to just take the content that is generated organically from, you know, uh, my experiences and my upbringing in the Nooksack tribal community is very personal. But we've also protected our content. And so right now, eighth generation, because we um, have recently been purchased by the Snoqualmie tribe, uh, we have the legal might to be able to hold ground the way that no other native artist or native company has ever been able to do. And so when we see our tagline being co-opted or talking points being used by these by these other companies, we'll send a cease and desist and follow up if we need to. And let me tell you, so far, eighth generation, this uh, small but rapidly growing business started by a Nooksack kid drawing on shoes is batting a thousand against these larger companies. And this is a really important point because before eighth generation, any native artist that has generated traction with either their aesthetic or a business idea would just get swallowed up in the same way that these companies are trying to swallow us up right now. And um, we're sort of at a watershed moment because eighth generation is having success defending against the organic way that capitalism uh, can play out on smaller entities. Oh, absolutely. It, you know, the, this, this system has a way of crushing mm -hmm. the little guy. And what you're doing here is you're merging your, your art, activism, and business and taking on the, the behemoth, taking on the giants and, you know, cut down a large tree with a, with a small axe. Really glad to be hearing all of this uh, and the success that you're having and hearing it directly from you. Uh, you've, you've done so well and uh, I'm sure the future is going to be bright for you. Your, your store, you're back open after COVID. 
That's true. Um, in March of 2020, we shut down just like everybody else. I mean, we didn't, you know, we were scared for our employees. We were scared for our customers. Uh, so we we closed down. We also adjusted in a number of other ways. Um, we had really big plans to sort of capitalize on this organic growth that was happening with 8th generation. So we wanted to develop our infrastructure. We wanted to double our inventory. And all of that got froze. Um, and that had a huge impact on us later on during the holiday season when we were sold out of about 70% of our product. But what's happening right now is the store has reopened. Uh, we're on a reduced schedule. So if you happen to come down to Seattle on a Saturday or Sunday, come drop by and see us. So we have a big neon sign right on First Avenue um, at uh, Pike and First, um, and then also one right above the gum wall. So if you follow those neon signs, you can find us. While 2020 was a roller coaster ride for sure, um, we're now in a position to really get you know into the holiday season for 2021. That is great news. What is the website where people can see you know some of the art that you make and some of the designs and some of the artists that you're working with that you're bringing into Eighth Generation to do designs for the company? The website is eighthgeneration.com. Uh, you can just Google eighth generation. You don't have to worry if you spell it right. But don't forget the second H in eighth. <laughs> when I chose my uh, <laughs> business name and, and website URL, I forgot how hard that word was is to spell. But uh, so watch out for that. Uh, but it's maybe that's why my first email didn't get to you. <laughs> it could very well be. Uh, one thing that I want to note is that eighth generation is not just my art. We are a national company and the Inspired Natives Project was the beginning of 8th generation expanding regionally by adding uh, native artists who are vetted by their community. So 100% of our product is designed by native artists who are paid for their work. And if they need it, they also get business capacity building from me. So if they don't have e-commerce, I help them with it. If they uh, need a logo, if they need help with their taxes, you know, I help them either myself or find someone who can help them. Um, and uh, right now, we currently have about 25 artists represented on our website. And since 2015, when we first launched Wool Blankets, we've made blankets with about 70 different Native artists. That is a huge... So, you know, to start off drawing on shoes and come from the Nooksack community and to create real economic opportunity for that many people uh, is something I'm super proud of. It's great work. I hope to buy one of those uh, new blankets. I, I saw on social media today, you have a new, oh, I don't remember what you called them, but a larger blanket, an oversized blanket's coming? Oh, yeah. So so eighth generation, um, it, you know, it was very challenging to enter into the high barrier to entry wool blanket market. And uh, so when we started that, um, we started with an imported blanket. It is designed by a Native artist, set up for production by Native people. The logistics are handled by native people but it was made overseas so it's still one of our most popular blankets we've had that for what six years now but we've added other blankets that are sourced domestically around the united states and eighth generation is now able to produce wool textiles right in our seattle studio so we're not just creating opportunities for native artists we're creating real jobs right here in seattle and that's an accomplishment in its own. This is one of the most expensive cities in the country, and eighth generation is uh, holding its own, you know, in a very challenging business environment and doing ultimately what uh, is one of the most rare things 
of all, which is reshoring production. Louis, in the next uh, two and a half minutes before we have to get out of here, what's new for you and Eighth Generation? Well, this couldn't be a more exciting time for our small business because we're transitioning to a 30,000 square foot like warehouse admin space in right in Seattle. And uh, that's really powerful for us because in addition to sort of creating opportunities for artists, it's really important for us to reclaim physical space and by moving into this giant uh, space in my cat. <laughs> that's okay. Yeah, so this couldn't be a more exciting, this couldn't be a more exciting time for a small business because we are transitioning into a beautiful 30,000 square foot space. It'll be our headquarters and warehouse. Uh, it's right in Seattle and it's very meaningful for us, uh, both because I started off in like a 300 square foot closet as a studio space drawing on shoes. And uh, so it's remarkable to be walking through these sort of expansive hallways and thinking about where I started. But it's also important because at 8th Generation, we are really focused on reclaiming physical space and stories in addition to you know, just making money. And so moving into this larger space helps us sort of craft the next chapter in this you know, really cool story that 8th Generation is creating um, at the same time that we're sort of creating a mechanism for even more economic opportunity for ourselves and indigenous artists. Is the uh, retail space open complete now uh, via COVID? Is retail space down in Pike Place open now? As of October, our retail space at as of October, our retail space at Pike Place Market is expanding our hours from being just open two days a week on the weekends um, as sort of our initial reopening after COVID to being open Thursday through uh, Sunday. So we're really excited about um, being able to receive guests at our Pike Plate store, um, you know, on a regular basis like we used to. We're taking a big step towards that. It's an inspiring story, Louis. Um, you should be proud and your your community should be inspired by this. I hope others will, you know, seek you out and, and you know, come to you for, for guidance because I, I certainly think you are... Uh, are leading the way in this. Uh, congratulations again. Entrepreneur, activist, artist, Louis Gong, really do appreciate your time today. Thank you very much, Trevor. You have been listening to a conversation about commerce and Native American artwork with eighth generation founder and owner Louis Gong. This week's producer was me, Trevor Collins, with Times Like Now in Bellingham, Washington. Music you heard today included J. Cody Robertson. The Sprouts theme music is Torpedoes on Tuesday by Poison Control Center. Sprouts is a weekly program produced in collaboration with community radio stations and independent producers across the country. The program is coordinated and distributed by Pacifica Radio. Thanks to Brian David at Satellite Operations. If you or someone at your station has a radio production that you wish to showcase nationally on Sprouts, contact our air traffic controller, Ursula Rudenberg. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week on Sprouts. (laughs) 